Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, welcome to The Call. Great to have you here with us. So this is the program where we take 10 stocks plus a stock of the day and we discuss them with our two expert guests. And I ask if it's a buy, hold or a sell. It's Thursday the 5th of May. I'm Nadine Blaney. All right, we've got uh, two great guests here with me in studio. Really pleased about this one. Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor and Ben Clark from TMS Capital. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks. Look, the elephant in the room right now is obviously interest rates, 50 basis point hike in the U.S., 20, 35 basis point hike here. Is that changed fundamentally the way that you're considering companies? It matters, Nadine. It does matter. I mean, my ordinary response to this sort of stuff is it's noise, don't worry mm-hmm. about it. But it is important. Interest rate is, is the one thing that investors ought to pay attention to. It does matter. But what are you going to do about it? You know, um, I have no ability to forecast it. No one does. Everyone has an opinion on it. There's certainly been some movement in valuation. So it's not as though this is a surprise and no one's aware of it. I think it's something we ought to pay attention to, but not get obsessed about. Obsess over? And, and I think there is a bit of an obsession going on right now. And when this happens, it's, you, you, this is prime environment for mispricings. And so I've got my my nose to the floor and um, I'm, I'm trying to find mm-hmm. um, you know, where are their potential mispricings. Um, you Ben? Oh sorry. I, I just think when everyone is on one side of the argument, when expectations are all one way, that is the time to look elsewhere, mm-hmm. to look on the other side. Mm-hmm. You might not be right, you probably won't be right, but um, this expectation that there's going to be a, a long, um, long runway of, of higher rates and falling stock prices. I just think it pays. It, it often pays just just to to think in the opposite direction occasionally, and, and so that's that's where I am. Are you as? I completely you? agree. I, I I honestly think that bond markets have overshot themselves so far. I, mm. I, I cannot see thirteen, fourteen rate hikes, which is what was priced seems in yesterday. Lot, it, it seems yeah. Not only would you kill inflation in this country, you kill, kill everything. The economy, you know, like <laughs> I just can't see it happening. And I, I think, as Gaurav said there, like it's. I think markets have been caught up in this massive macro trade or shift of money mm. and every single day, you know, all anyone is paying attention to yeah. is the bond market. Yeah. And, and we're seeing it today as well, it's been, you know, they've come off today bond yields and yeah. um, growth stocks are up and that's been a counter to what's been happening for most of this year. But, yeah. you know, over, I, I, one thing I would say is I think the vast bulk of the repricing of interest rates has happened. Mm. and whether it's got a bit more to go, I really would debate. But having said that, I was on the show a few weeks ago and I thought it might have fizzled out by that stage as well and it's gone further. But I, I really think um, if we're not there, I, I, I think you know, markets have overshot. And I think that reaction in the, um, in the markets last night to what was just a hint that we won't do 75 sort of tells you that everyone is on one side of the trade and it could snap back very quickly. The one um, addition to that though, Ben, is I just wonder 
There are a couple of really, um, you know, every bull market has its flag bearer, has its um, has, has its mascot. Yeah. And for me, that position now is Bitcoin and Tesla, and both mm. of those two things have held up reasonably well. Mm. So until I see those two, well, the, the share price doesn't necessarily have to crumble, but the enthusiasm and the hype around those two things <laughs> has to has to diminish. I, I don't think we can call an end to the hysteria. Um, and that's what we have been had. We've had that. We've had hysteria the last few years. Make no mistake. Until we see those two crack, I'm I'm still a bit cautious about that. Don't know what your thoughts are. Whether you agree I, I with don't that. Actually, I don't. I mean, don't own Tesla, but I, yeah. I I think I just see this massive ramp up of earnings that are that are occurring. And although it's it's still very expensive, it's a lot cheaper than it looked a couple of years ago. Is it worth the entire? Other, other half of the auto industry combined? Well, I, you know, it I'd could be know. because, you know, when you read, yeah. like to me, automotive is just the first thing that's happening for them. But mm. they are, when, what they're going to do to the energy markets is they're going to completely disrupt the grid as we know it. And so I think maybe the market can see it coming. I agree on Bitcoin. You know, that like at least Tesla has an earnings to price yeah, it against enough. and fair it's enough. got an outlook. Whereas Bitcoin to me, you know, it's worth what sentiment says it's worth. You guys know I could sit and listen to you talk all day, but uh, I need to crack on with things. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get in trouble around here. Well. All right. Yeah. So, uh, stock of yeah. uh, that we'll be discussing: Tyro Payments. Really happy Ben is here for this one. Charter Hall Group, <laughs> Felix, Genworth Mortgage Ben's Insurance, probably not too happy about and that. And Guru <laughs> Energy. Well, for the stock of the day, I thought we'd take a look at Reliance Worldwide. It's presenting at the Macquarie Australia Conference today, updating the market on its strategy and third quarter performance. Net sales rising 14% on the previous year. Price increases hit 8.7% to offset cost inflation. This, though, is as it falls out of favor with some brokers. I mean, earlier this week, City cut its price target to $3.84. Jeffrey's revising its expectations to $4.90. Still has a buy, though. And today we did have another broker come out, but it was Morgan Stanley lifting its price target to 2% and upgrading it to overweight from equal weight. So I thought I should ask my guests about Reliance Worldwide. Ben, I'll start with you. We used to own this yep. um, and, and sold, it was one we did well selling about six months ago. And I, I reckon it's starting to look interesting again now. Um, to me, this is a business which when we got into it and we went through some ups and downs and I underestimated um, quite how volatile the earnings can be. There's a lot of sort of external um, forces which can give them a good or a bad mm-hmm. earning season, particularly the weather, as bizarre as it sounds. When they get these big deep freeze events in the, U- the US, they get this massive knock-on of work. But the copper price is a big deal for them. Um, they've had supply chain issues. There is an element of non-discretionary work for them, which is what I liked, um, but to me, it's kind of like shifted back the other way where everything's sort of gone against them again mm-hmm. and um, earnings I think are probably a bit depressed. Copper price is low, um, they're pushing through price increases, they've said demand has held up. So um, it's almost, this one, it's, it's a bit of a trading stock in a way and um, I think it could be an interesting one to look at now. So. On- on the day, though, I mean, it's up by 6% today, okay. sitting at $4. Um, yeah, sorry, sitting at, that doesn't, yeah, $4.29. Yeah, that sounds well, right. So uh, would you buy it today, or do you think that because of the lumpiness and some of those external factors that you could get it cheaper on some sort of a pullback? I, I probably would buy it today. I mean, you know, obviously it would have been better yesterday, but I, <laughs> like, there's, it feels like there's going to be some margin improvements mm-hmm. um, in the in the next sort of year and 
The US last year didn't have one of the deep freezes, the year before they did. So it's kind of like that. It'll happen. It'll happen again. Yeah. Um, and it leads to a lot of cracked pipes that need to get fixed. There's not a you know, discretionary nature to that. It's just got to get done. So um, yeah, the copper price is a big deal as well. So it's well managed. I, I think the CEO's done a really good job this yeah. business. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Look, we had a look at this when it IPO'd, and at that stage, the founding family was still involved, and, and they've since sold out everything and, and left the business in its entirety. I'm, I look at the margins on this business, and I just think they're earning too much money for, for what the business is. So, you know, they make these shark bite connectors where instead of um, welding pipes together, you have a little bit of kit and you screw the pipes in together for plumbers behind the wall, and it makes eminent sense. It's a good invention. But it's not rocket science, you know, like it, these things are available everywhere. Reese has one, Ferguson has some. Most large plumbing supply biggest businesses have their own version of them. So then you ask the question, well, what is, what is this business if it's easy to replicate and it's just available at the local hardware store? And I think it's a brand business, you know, what, what, what the way this business makes money is through the Sharkbite brand. And I'm, I'm just not convinced that it's a strong enough proposition to generate these kind of margins. The, the returns are outstanding. On paper, it looks like a very high quality business. I, I'm just not sure it's a resilient one. Um, Ben's already mentioned the sort of external factors that hit it, and we've seen it's, it's extremely cyclical. Um, I, I just don't think it's resilient. And, um, you know, for me, Reese is starting to look far more interesting than this. And I think James Hardy is a far better quality business than this mm -hmm. is. I wouldn't be, look, I think in terms of value, it looks okay, but that's assuming the margins hold. And I just, I think they're gonna face margin pressure in the future um, from increasing competition. And I'd, I'd probably avoid it at okay. this stage, There you go, difference of opinion. That's what mark mm -hmm. makes the market. But you sold out at just about the right time, it looks like, by it that was, time. Yeah, that was good. And, and Reese, we've held on to, mm -hmm. and I think, I would agree, Reese is a much yeah. higher quality business. Um, if I was picking between the two, I would be buying that one first. Good. Well, let's get to the companies that have been nominated by our audience. Thank you so much for sending these through. I'll get it out of the way early. This is information only. This is not advice. <laughs> this is not financial advice to your specific uh, situation. So Lawrence has written in. He's asking about Tyro payments. He says one of the worst performers in his portfolio is Tyro, bought above $3.20 and has held. Instinct telling him to hold, given that there's potentially more upside than downside going forward. If the recommendation is to sell and buy something else, are there any other growth alternatives you can suggest? Okay, how are we gonna do this in the allotted time? Ben, I will start with you, <laughs> yep. because I know you have been a long-term fan of yeah, Tyro. Yeah, and we still own it, yeah, yeah. which has been a shocker. Yeah. Um, I'm still sticking with it, and mm -hmm. look, I think one thing you've got to be aware of with Tyro is this is still, even at the current share price, about a half a billion dollar market cap and the business is still not profitable at this stage. So it's really, I think, in some ways being caught up in, with the bond yield move that we talked, spoke about at the start of the show, the businesses that are most sensitive to that are businesses like Tyro. Life 360, Megaport, um, some mm -hmm. of these companies where they're still some years away. Tyro's, Tyro does have a timeline for becoming profitable. It will it? be profitable in the next couple yeah. of years. It's, it should do about $450 million in revenue next cal, uh, financial year. Um, it's got about 63,000 merchants now. It's been through hell in a handbasket with all the lockdowns and mm. reopenings. Um, it had the, um, the outage across its network. So it hasn't been an easy ride. But 
I I think there's still reasons to stick with it. That the key for this business, and I've got to, I'm catching up with the CEO this month, is they need to start to show um, some operating leverage. So most of the revenue that's coming out has been pumped back into the business, and I think the market is worried that they're kind of buying that growth, that revenue growth, and they need to be probably a lot more disciplined on the cost side of the business, and they need to show the market that that revenue starts to drop and that you start to see that accelerate faster. Because we know the revenue is growing sort of 40% per annum versus a year ago. They're publishing that each week. It's the cost side of the business that counts. So, you know, it's probably one I would definitely hold through until the next update and, and, and get a feel for what that looks like, and then you reassess based on that. So it's a hold. What is it for you, Gaurav? It's a really tricky one. I'm going to... Um, it's looking cheap if you're... You know. Well, the share price has fallen. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, fair, fair I, point. I, I took this to our investment team at about three times the price and implored them to buy it. <laughs> and fortunately, they didn't listen to me and we missed, um, missed this one. Um, um, I say that partly to make Ben feel better and, <laughs> and partly because I've been, nice. <laughs> I've been gloating so much about these coal things, I should, um, yeah. I should present something that, that uh, went badly for me as well. Um, it's, look, I've, I really like this business a lot. Fantastic management. What I really like about it is they've come from nowhere to become number five in merchant acquisition. So, um, you know, they, they collect all these little small businesses and, and um, they take a, a part of the revenue that goes straight through these uh, machines via yeah. electronic payments. It's a very competitive space. There are lots of competitors. There are four very, very big ones. And over, what, a, a 12-year period or more than 10 years, they've been taking market share every single year, despite the competition, despite having better resourced and uh, richer competitors. That's something to admire. And they've done that because at every stage, they've actually introduced customer-centric innovations. They're the first people to provide um, high caps, integrate high caps into their, into their health, mm -hmm. uh, health offering. They were the first people to integrate. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was at university and I worked at a, at a, a retail outlet, I had to sit there manually and reconcile the uh, receipts coming from the card machine mm. and the receipts How going through the How old are you, man? Out. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this, was in the, this was in the 2000s, mind you, Nadine. Um, this is not ages ago, but um, they were the first one to actually integrate um, point of sale with uh, payments, and now everyone does it. Mm -hmm. They've got this history of innovation. It's exactly the kind of business I really want to own. But... Um, just, Ben's right. The, uh, the scaling issue is a problem. They've been around for what, 15 years. They still can't make uh, money. Part of that reason is because every time they pick up a new customer, they have to manually write code and manually integrate their software with the, um, a bespoke backend software. And they've done that almost with every new customer they get. They have now about 300 um, integrations. We're hoping they're at the end of that phase where they have to keep on writing code to take a new customer on board. And we hope they get to a, a stage where they've got enough backend code now where they can just bring on a new customer without having to spend money on, on algorithms. Um, but I need to see some evidence of that. Um, so, I, look, I share Ben's optimism and I share his concern with it as well. It's a hold for now, but um, you're, actually your instinct was right, Nadine. It is interesting. It is on my watch list. Um, my, my colleagues don't like it um, and they keep telling me again and again that I've been wrong on it. But um, I still think it's interesting. Sometimes you're wrong for so long, you end up being right. Yeah, well, that's right. There that's you right. Go. All right, we're going to leave that. I'm not mm. going to address the other growth alternatives unless we have time at the end of the show, Lawrence. Mm. Apologies, but I'm going to stick with script this time. Charter Hall Group, and this is for Jason. Uh, Jason wants to know if uh, 
how Charter Hall compares to Goodman Group. Uh, obviously, Goodman Group much loved. He thinks that maybe Charter Hall just gets overlooked um, despite growing much faster. It does have exposure to industrial and Charter Hall is office property, but is the gap in, justi in valuation justified? I would actually agree with that observation. I think Charter Hall does get overlooked. It's been an incredible business for a long time, uh, founder-led, um, reasonably um, reasonably managed, or well, not reasonably, very well managed, but reasonably funded. So it does. it's not sitting there with too much, it's not an indebted REIT um, that's taking advantage of, of low interest rates only. Um, the the creamiest part of this business is actually the funds management business. So this is a, a company that has um, assets, um, mm -hmm. it kind of owns and leases out, um, owns part of and leases out, and yep. then it has a management business that sits on top of that and it takes a, a slice of the assets it manages and it's, it's a bit like a property fund manager. That's the part of the business that's been growing the fastest. It's about two thirds of the business now. It's, uh, it's responsible for the very healthy returns um, that we see when we look at Charter Hall, and I think it's where most of the growth is going to come from. But um, there's, I, I, look, I, I think you can buy this now. I think it's reasonable. Just, I would pay attention. We, we started the show talking about interest rates a little bit, and one of the things that interest rates do is it just lifts property values across the board. And when you go through the accounts of Charter Hall, there is a leap, a gap between their reported earnings and cash flow. And it's sort of the cash flow is half what the reported earnings are. And, and some of that is equity counting. You know, they own bits and pieces of, um, of buildings that they don't necessarily collect the cash for, but you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a see-through profit that they, that they get. But a part of that is also because I, I suspect um, rising property prices are just filtered and flattered their results. Um, so you want to be careful about that. But that said, I still think um, this is a very high quality business. The valuation is probably reasonable. And look, it's probably not at the top of my list to buy, but I think you could buy this without getting into too much trouble. So um, I'll, go with a, um, I'll go with a buy, but there are better ideas out there. All right, maybe we'll get to them. Would you buy Charter Hall? I think it's a hold. I, I agree with a lot of that. I think um, you know, it's one of the, the top A rates that you would want to own. The, the, fund, the asset management business is the crown jewel. It's mm. $80 billion in, in fund that they've got there. Um, I would say the move to buy Paradise, I found bizarre. Well, um, I agree with that. Yep. Yeah, it's, um, so the Paradise is a very good um, Australian equity manager. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, to me, a real jump out of their core competency. It is a good quality business, but um, it just seems a strange move. But um, I think compared to Goodman, obviously industrial's been the place to be. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, these guys have got a lot of exposure to office and retail as well. Yeah. Um, where there's you know, probably more diversified in some ways. That, that might be something that they have going for them you know, when you see what Goodman's done just in the last few days. But I'd probably prefer Goodman. Um, I would, the reason I've got a hold on Charter Hall is I, I'd be wary about commercial property pricing in, like if, the bond market is right or even close to right. It's hard to see commercial properties rising in value over the next couple of years if bond yields are going to go to 3% or something. In that environment, if property prices can just hold up, I think that will be a good outcome. So, you know, to me, some of the gains that they've had the last few years, have, as Goro was saying, it's just sort of repricing of the existing assets. And um, that's given them what looks like good earnings per share momentum. but. That can turn. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. That was for you. Jason, let's go to a question on Felix for Maurice. 
Now, he says that he's held it for about two years. He was hoping that there'd be more of a bump from the infrastructure boom, but it doesn't appear to have landed. So this is SaaS. Um, he says Felix appears to have a great product. He's familiar with it through his day job. Um, he thinks it could benefit from network growth. Um, he's starting to think it's more of a buyout target than perhaps a solid growth stock. Any thoughts? And I will put a PS because I know that Maurice's question came in, I think, two days ago. And Felix has just uh, said that it's going to be raising capital to buy a U.S. business in that same sort of area, which is, um, you know, it, it works with contractors. It works with building engineers and, and I can't think of the right puts word. Them yeah, puts yeah. them together. And so it looks like it's going to be bringing in this innate, it's called it, by a strategic investment. Mm. Felix. I've actually, I, I went to a presentation the CEO did about a year ago and I was actually really impressed mm. um, at where he, he sort of saw a need in his day-to-day -day job, left his job, started this thing, hard grind and you know probably their share prices reflected that. But I think Simic, Lendlease, Downer all now use this platform. Yep, they um, do. Innate, I'd never heard of, and I actually had missed that deal. Cause this is a very small stock, I should just add, um, and quite a liquid. Um, but Innate looks like it's one of the biggest construction, it's a subsidiary of one of the biggest construction companies in the US. Mm -hmm. And they're taking a stake in Felix whilst rolling out the Felix um, platform in America to a lot of their, um, their customers. Um, so that seems like a bit of a transformational deal to me, um, particularly them wanting to take equity in Felix at the share price. It wasn't done at a discount. So, but you know, again, like they're doing four and a half million revenue last quarter, market cap's 32 mil. They're doing a raising as Nadine said, so that there's plenty of cash now, you know, post the raising, maybe not a bad time to look at it. But without wanting to sound boring, it's just amazing how quickly, you know, the market was ha so happy to back these sort of businesses a year ago, and now it's everyone's like, where's the profit, where's the profit? <laughs> we'll probably hear this with some others. And yeah, um, yeah. Um, I think for that reason, it's a whole, but I do think it looks interesting, you know, and um, you don't want to, you know, completely put the blinkers on against these sort of businesses mm -hmm. just because they're out of favour. That's where you can make real money because yeah. they'll come back at some stage. Yeah, and, and there's no stopping this whole transition to the cloud and these SaaS businesses, you know, they're, they're quite, um, well, they can be sort of capital light. So what do you think of Felix? What's the last couple of years? Well, I think what the last year has sort of demonstrated is that software can be a good business, but it's not necessarily, it's not always and everywhere a good business. And, and that's probably the mistake that a lot of people were making over the last few years. They just thought software, you know, low capex, high gross margin, it, it's a great business. And it's only a great business when it works um, because there's very low barriers to entry. Um, there's people innovating all over, you know, garages of teenage kids could be your competitor one day and you'd never know it until it happened. Um, it's, it is that a tough business. And we should, um, we should approach these businesses, I think, with a bit more caution than we have in the past, in the last 10 years or so. Um, so that was, that was my initial impression coming to this. I'd never heard of it, but I, I have to say, I, I would agree with Ben, it, it, it is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, the interesting part was, it's not just selling software to someone, it's actually a market maker bringing together um, uh, two parties. Mm -hmm. And two parties for whom that there are mutual benefits of coming together. Um, there's no, doesn't appear to be too much existing competition and it solves a real legitimate problem. Um, so I'm, look, I, I think this is interesting. Um, I, it's only, it's a tiny business. We're talking sort of $3 million of, of ARR. 
um, $40 million market cap. You know, look, it's probably a bit early for me. Um, I did note that the, um, the international mob who took a stake in this actually took it at a big premium to the market, and that says quite a bit about the business, I think. So it, it's one I keep in my watch list, um, but uh, it's probably a bit early at this stage to, uh, to be buying it for me anyway. Um, okay. But it sounds like the viewer knows this a lot better than, than, yeah. the, the, than I do. And he's already <laughs> in it, so yeah. you hold it if you're in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. good. Thank you, guys. Uh, number four, Genworth Mortgage Insurance for Brent. Gaurav, you've been named in this. Uh, Brent says uh, it, it spiked his interest with its recent increase in dividends, mm. uh, the current buyback to an AGM resolution for a buyback of further six million shares, I think. I understand that the insurer's business model is to collect money today, provision that some of that money may pay claims in the future. It's an insurer, mortgage insurer, all the whilst gaining a return on that money. So how do you see what's happening in property impacting it? Um, is it likely in the clear in their financial statements or are they over-provisioning in their liabilities? So he's wondering if this business essentially is undervalued. Yeah, the provisioning is actually the, the really important part of this business. So the, this is a company that sells uh, mortgage insurance. Um, it's quite frightening when you take a look at it because its, it's potential liability is about $300 billion. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> and, it, and, it covers that, and it covers that with a, a $1.5 billion equity base. Wow. So it's, uh, it looks very frightening. <laughs> but um, it's probably not as bad as it seems because... Um, you know, I think the, the viewers actually made a quite an astute point, is that um, when it writes um, a, a piece of business, um, it does so putting aside a bit of capital, um, and, and that, at that point, the, the loan is at its most mm -hmm. riskiest. But then as the equity value of the property rises, and as repayments are made against the, uh, well, for the property, then it becomes less risky, and they're still putting aside the same amount of money, mm -hmm. but in fact, they're, um, uh, they're their theoretical liability has been reduced. Yeah. So over the course of time, time is actually the friend of this business. Um, it actually reduces the, the theoretical liability without, um, without reducing the capital base. So you can say that over time, as long as property prices aren't collapsing and people are repaying their mortgages, this is always in a position where it's got excess capital. And that's how it's been able to fund extremely good dividends um, and that's also why I, I think this is always, always mispriced. It's always mispriced because it's really hard to see, um, to see that point, to see that it's actually better, it's better positioned than the, than the numbers would suggest. Mm -hmm. Now it only trades at uh, 0.8 of book, which is extremely cheap. But I would say a company like this needs to be cheap. It, it deserves to be cheap because it's, it's a bit like a reverse lottery ticket. You know, there's a 95% chance that it just, you go on collecting these quite generous dividends, you know, five to 6% fully frank dividends every year. Uh, and I think you do that pretty easily. Every now and again, there's a bit of a buyback as well. I think you just go along collecting those dividends until you have a catastrophic loss in the market. And then you're at a risk of a big, big loss or a, or a wipeout. Um, and that's why, you know, we've described it as a reverse lottery ticket. If that's a sort of return that interests you, I, I think you can buy it here and make those returns. For me personally, it's, it's not the kind of return I'm really interested in making. It has to be very cheap um, for me to get interested in this. I haven't seen it. We've never bought it, never recommended it, but it, it pops up from time to time. I think given your, you know, when you think about your risk profile, there is a certain kind of person who can buy this and it's an interesting business to dig through um, as an analyst, but I'm going to give it a hold for now. Well, I almost wrote down buy and then I scratched it out. <laughs> yeah. and so we've if arrived I was, if I was a at a hole. I, okay. I probably would buy it, but I'm not. 
Are yeah. you brave? Are it you is, just it's uh, an interesting, yeah. it is a really, it's almost a back to front sort of business. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go sell on it. Um, and I, I, you know, I think Gaurav's made a lot of good points there and I won't add to them. But a, a couple for me would be, I, I think going forward over the next couple of years, you are going to see the slowdown in the yeah. housing market. You're going to see um, consumers borrowing less money. Um, you're also potentially going to see some government policy which could really disrupt mortgage insurance. So, you know, you've got the Labor policy where they're going to put 40% equity mm -hmm. in. You've got the coalition's policy where they're going to try and um, um, help people avoid mortgage insurance. So that could be an issue for them and it's sort of a bit of a red flag, I guess. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually. This yeah. is a, an industry that's uh, ripe for interference. And, yeah, because yeah. it's so expensive. Like companies mm. that you know, have, everyone's yeah. trying to help. It's become a real political issue is getting people in a home. Mm. And um, this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to people who really need some help is it is so expensive and it gives you absolutely nothing, but it gives the bank the protection. Right. And if, the, co <laughs> yeah. if the government could find a way mm. to work that out, which I think they're moving toward. Um, you know, and I think we are moving into a different cycle in the economy and maybe the claims and sort of experience might not be as benign as it has been over the last few years, mm -hmm. um, which is weird having... The last 30 years. Yeah, last 30 <laughs> years, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. look, unemployment's sub 4%. Mm -hmm. So I can't see any real big issues emerging. There's plenty of equity, I think, in most people's houses. I think they said sub 1% of their book has got negative equity. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty safe. But it's probably the near-term earnings that would be the thing for me. Okay. Brewer Energy is the last on the list mm -hmm. until we make it through the halfway mark. But uh, Andrew has written in saying that uh, we did an interview with a guest who is quite bullish on Australian gas for the next three years and possibly up to seven years. Mentioned a number of companies, the usual suspects, Woodside, Santos, Beach, Carnarvon, and Brewer, I suppose, is the, uh, uh, the smaller end of the market. So just wanting to get an opinion on Buru Energy, which is obviously, you know, predicated on what you think is going to happen with oil, even though it's just really difficult for anybody to say what's yeah. going to happen with the price of oil. But the typical question is, do you stay with the big producers or can you go into the smaller end of the market? Well, I think uh, I'll come back to the question, which was um, the next three to seven years, because when I had a very quick look and look, I don't know this company, I don't know if they'll be producing in the next three to seven years. So um, if you're wanting to take advantage of the strong gas prices at the moment, be in a company that's actually selling gas at mm -hmm. the moment. And to me, it looks like these guys have made an interesting discovery, but the, the next, from what I could quickly work out, was that infrastructure is going to be the next difficulty. And it's, you know, these can be very remote places that can be very hard to get gas to a port. Um, they do have an interest in a small oil producing asset that gives them a bit of cash flow, which is nice, but they are still burning a few million bucks each quarter. Mm -hmm. Market cap's 90, they've got about 18 in cash, so mm -hmm. they look pretty well, um, pretty well covered in terms, of their, um, in terms of their cash. But look, this is a specky. It's, it's really going to trade on, you know, I think they're drilling at the moment. If they find something better than expected, you'll get a pop and vice versa. But, it's not the way I'd be playing the gas price at the moment. Are you invested in any of the big producers right now? No, no. Um, we, I was a fan of Oil Search. Um, I actually went over to PNG and like, did a tour of their stuff, which was pretty interesting. And um, I think Santos got that a really mm -hmm. good price. Yeah. And I think Santos, if I was, 
that they'd be my pick. Um, I, I think they've been really well managed. They, I think they got that at a very good time, and um, operationally they seem to be very strong. They seem to um, get costs down, and they seem to maximise output. So that's probably the one I would go Why for. Why are you not in oil, though? Well, good question. I mean, at the moment <laughs> it's the wrong decision, right? But um, mm. these things they just go in unpredictable cycles, and I'd rather buy a business which I think I've got. Um, you know, to me, with a Santos or a Woodside, what's their earnings going to be next year? You're throwing a dart at a dartboard, to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I would rather buy a business which I think I've got, you know, there's less things out of the control that can go wrong. And, you know, that means that you go through periods where, you know, mm -hmm. the market's strong in these areas at the moment. Um, but it's just an area I've typically avoided. And I'd say, you know, like if you look at Santos or Woodside, um, you know, most of these companies 10, 15 years ago were much higher share. They have not been great businesses. And they've but not been good tracking for these sort of periods. surges that we've seen in the price of oil as well. Their share no. price has not responded, you know, in tandem. Mm. Let's call it that. Okay, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting off track again. <laughs> Buru Energy. Yeah, um, so these guys operate in the Canning Basin, which is in the north of Australia. The Canning Basin is is a gas area, but the rocks in the Canning Basin, um, they're not nice, porous shale, they're quite tight. So people got excited about the Canning Basin about a decade ago because mm. you could uh, potentially frack it, and uh, there's a lot of gas there, but it requires a lot of infrastructure and capex to actually get that gas out. It requires fracking, pipelines, trucks, sand, probably unlikely to happen ever in my view because it's just a remote location the infrastructure is not there um, so Buru has now you look through their presentation and there's a little bit of gas in there but it's now all about battery minerals in the canning basin and I can't help roll my eyes Nadine um, you know these businesses who just go from one fad to the other mm. um, I'm just not interested you know mm. I mean there's a bit of cash there I, you know, they've done some good work in the past, but like when, when a gas producer suddenly discovers battery minerals in a battery minerals boom, I, I just mm -hmm. turn off, you know, just not interested. Yeah, no. yeah. got it. All right, yeah. so that's mm -hmm. an avoid from both of my guests. Magellan, well, Magellan updated the market today with funds under management. I'm going by memory, $68.8 billion. Uh, Jesse <laughs> says that he's just bought it. At $19, just offered a one for eight bonus issue, 20-something. He's 20-something. I love getting these details because it does put things <laughs> in perspective. Will this dilution hurt me long term or do I accept? What do you think? Well, don't feel bad about buying it at 19 bucks because I bought it at about 39 bucks. <laughs> Aww. Can I say it was your advent calendar pick? Yeah, you can. You can. <laughs> it was. Um, yeah, this has been really surprised me. So I had a very specific thesis for Magellan. Yeah. Um, my view was that this was a fund manager that was trying to become a Macquarie, that was trying to morph into a much larger financial business and the market didn't recognize the changes it was making. You know, I really like that private equity arm. I think you could, there's some really good assets in there. Um, they showed a lot of innovation, um, had, a, had a good um, infrastructure business and a good Aussie business and an, um, an income product that was, that was quite unique. And there was a lot more potential innovation in the works. And then everything stopped and blew up and it was quite swift and unpredictable. And a lot of it had to do with the, uh, the position and the psychology of the founder. Now that's something- Key you, person risk. Key person risk. This was, 
you know, when we did our work on Magellan, this was this was the top risk, um, and you know, you always tick that box. Yeah, I know that's a risk, and and you always think, yeah, that's that's possible but unlikely. If you had told me a year ago, Nadine, that um, Hamish Douglas would um, not be the CIO, not be the CEO, not be the chairman, mm -hmm. not have anything to do with the business that he founded, he's the face of, and he's and he a household drove. name of. Yeah. yeah. He turned from 100 million to 100 billion in 10 years. Yeah. I, I just wouldn't believe it. Insane, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd never think it. This yeah. was, of all the businesses on the ASX that I thought would be down 60 or 70%, this, this was not on my list yeah. <laughs> at all. So completely bamboozled by this one. Um, but that's okay, you know, um, you know, when we buy stocks, there's no guarantee. You can have the tightest investment thesis, the most thought out investment case, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. Um, and that's all right. Um, the question now is, what do you do? Yep. And I think the mistake here is to come up with a new thesis on the fly while you're holding the stock and think, okay, um, all that has changed. The upside is gone. Hamish is gone. It's no longer a, a, a diversified financial. It's now a very cheap fund manager. Um, and the metrics are cheap, and the share price is down, it's already accounted for all of that. I think that's the mistake. The, that's the error. Because um, what you're dealing with now is not a misunderstood growth business. It's a, it's a pure um, fund manager that needs to be turned around. So you, you're actually in, in a turnaround situation. And I, I don't want to be in a turnaround situation with a fund manager. It's extremely unlikely that these guys turn around. Um, just look at Platinum, for which, mm -hmm. which has looked cheap over 10 years. Nothing wrong with that business. It's a well-managed business with smart people trying to do the right thing in it. It's gone nowhere for 10 years. And, and I think Magellan faces the same fate. So if you were Jesse, you'd sell? I would sell. I have sold. I mean, we've sold. I've sold. Um, we've worn the loss and just moved on. Mm -hmm. I, I would suggest doing the same. Ben? I'm going to go the other way. I reckon it's a buy. Um, for me, I mean, I like I, you cannot believe what has happened in the last year. Yeah. I, you. you you couldn't make this stuff up, yeah. honestly. Um, <laughs> the market gives you these incredible stories. And yeah, if this is one of the biggest, like I don't think there would have been many funds management groups in the world that have achieved what Magellan's achieved in that period of time. Mm -hmm. I think he was trying to create Blackstone, you know, like it was, he was morphing into, um, into something else, which made sense. Um, but you, the, the, the downfall, Funds management businesses are people businesses. They mm. are so reliant on key individuals, and these things can happen. Um, but where we are now, like to me, there's nine dollars a share. Um, sorry, there's about five dollars. It's five to six dollars a share in cash investments, and the um, the, the portfolio of uh -huh. unlisted they'll stand to build out. Yep. So you're paying nine bucks for a business that even on its you know current farm with no performance fees should earn about a dollar fifty. So you're paying like six times for, for the funds management business. And they're gonna pay 90 to 95% out as a dividend, so it's gonna be a great yield. I look at the portfolio, and I think they're really taking risk out of it. You know, it has morphed quite significantly since Hamish left. So I don't think you're gonna get those really counter, you know, the performance fees could start flowing again. Um, and, you know, I think Hamish, I think, is probably going to work his way back and Chris is there. These two guys, they, they're deal makers. They know what makes equity markets tick and that's they were both investment bankers to start their career and I just think that you know they've got a lot of reasons to want to try and get the share price up because they're the two biggest shareholders and it's heavily shorted um, and 
I wouldn't bet against them. So okay. I, I'd, I'd go buy. Yeah, uh, you could see the return of Hamish, couldn't you? And that would be uh, yeah, yeah, I probably I just the mid-chapter. He'll never go bit. back. I, I, he couldn't come back as CIO, no, but he yeah. could come back in another role that yeah. they could carve out. Mm. And that might just give the market confidence he's not mm -hmm. going to go and sell all his shares. Mm. But you want him engaged. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I got so excited that yeah. I forgot we... That was number six. So let me go back <laughs> and talk about the first five stocks. I will keep it brief. Tyro. Well, let's start with the stock of the day, Reliance Worldwide. It's a buy. It's a buy for Ben, and uh, he says that it looks interesting, Reliance Worldwide. It's an avoid for Gorav. He says he just doesn't think it's a resilient business. Tyro, it's a hold for both of my guests. Ben wants them to get the cost side of the business under control. Charter Hall, it's a buy for Gorav. He says it's an incredible business. Uh, Ben's not quite so enthusiastic. He would prefer Goodman over Charter Hall. Now, Felix, it's an interesting one for both of my guests. It's on the watch list for, uh, for Gorav. It's a hold, though. Both actually say uh, that Maurice, you should continue to hold this business. Genworth is a sell for Ben. It's a hold for Gorav. Buru Energy, it's an avoid for both of my guests. Why would you ever be in a non-producing oil and gas asset? Also. Gorov hates when these companies turn into something else just because the mood of the market has changed and it's now really into battery minerals, we're told. So that is the first five companies that we've covered. Let's just chat about the investment committee. So it is live. It went live on Tuesday. You can watch it at ozbiz.com.au. In the portfolio, Tabcorp, Domino's, Ardent Leisure, Tyro added to the portfolio, shifting the original allocations and cash holding size. Uh, ben is on the investment committee. Um, Gorov was invited, but anyways, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> keep sending your requests in. We will keep putting your requests to the investment committee as well. And uh, of course, you want to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools. Plus, our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Okay, I love my job because in the break I get to hear these guys chat to one another about ideas. <laughs> they were just discussing uh, the wisdom of adding art and leisure and both sort mm. of chatting about dominoes as well, looking pretty interesting. If we mm. had two hours, I would bring you in on the conversation, <laughs> but let's get on with it, shall we? West Farmers, Webjet, Frontier Energy and ResMed coming up as we've already done Magellan. So let's get to West Farmers. This is for Chase. No context on this one, but do you need context? for West Farmers, we know what it does. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Does anything fundamentally change for West Farmers if you think about Bunnings and you think about interest rate rises and potentially knock-on effects to consumers? I don't think so. Yeah. Bunnings is one of the most unblow-upable businesses I think I've ever <laughs> unblow seen. Unblow-upable, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, we go, you know, we go in yeah. cycles up and yeah. you look at um, COVID, you yeah. know, it boomed. And yeah. it, I, I, it's, it's, West Farmers for me is a buy. It, it looks expensive. It's trading on like 22, 23 times, but it's got an unbelievable balance sheet. It's just sold, yep. you know, nearly the remainder of its coal stake, and there's a bit more of that to go. It, it will be interesting to see what the next derivation of this is. just going to say, is. what yeah. happens next? Mm -hmm. okay. Well, something will happen. I, I think it will be something. If I was, if I was picking one business, I reckon they, it, it could be something in health insurance, like a Medibank or something like that, because mm -hmm. they've 
where they've spoken about health. They've got form and insurance. You know, they've owned insurance part companies in the past. Um, but you know, I, I I think it's got to be one of the highest quality businesses on the market. And just particularly, I, I think they look after their shareholders so well. Mm. This company, they really do. I think care about the mum and dad investors who invest in this business, as corny as that sounds. <laughs> I didn't peg you as that, Ben. Uh, Gaurav, does it make you yeah. warm the cockles of your heart? Of course it does, Nadine. You know me, I'm an <laughs> emotional guy. Um, I actually love this business as well. Uh, Bunnings... Not too axy? No, I think it's all right. It's a buy for me as well. Um, uh, the reason I say that, if you just look at it on a PE basis, I agree, it does look expensive, but I think Bunnings is just... Com- completely mispriced inside this structure. Mm. If Bunnings was on its own, um, it'd be a $40 billion business. Let's do, quickly break yeah. that down. A $2 billion of, dollars of earnings, which is accelerating. They have a, they only own 25% of the market. They could double in size without blinking. Mm. Um, and you put that on 20 times any day of the week. I'd pay 20 times any day of the week for yeah. Bunnings. Yeah. And so that's, that's at least a $40 billion business. Bunnings is so good that yeah. when people visit from overseas, I've got my parents visiting right yeah. now, they always go to Bunnings. They go to Bunnings. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not, like, it's not the, I'm on not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Just amazing. check out how Bunnings is sure. doing, yeah. It's a, it's a tourist stock now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, speaking of, that brings us nicely. Boy, you guys are pros to our next company on the list, and that is Webjet mm. for Willow. Look, there's been a bit of hype. Well, this week around, just today, Qantas yeah. buying Alliance. Qantas yeah. coming out and you upgrading. Know, upgrading its guidance. Also, Hello World. Mm. Hello World's been one that a lot of people have been writing in about. So, Webjet, uh, still a reopening trade. How do you play it? This one divides the team quite a bit. We have had a buy on this in the past. It's currently a sell. I don't think we've ever owned it in the funds because we just can't agree on it. Um, so the, the bulls on the team, they view Webbeds as a um, kind of like a platform. So sorry, uh, let's just step back a second. The key part of Webjet is not the travel business. It's a little uh, business inside Web, Webjet called Webbeds, and it's a hotel aggregation business. So it, it, it connects to um, hotels all over the world, aggregates their rooms and offers them for sale to consumers. So it's, it sits as a uh, go-between between the hotel, which has to flog its inventory off, and customers who are sort of searching online looking for spare hotel rooms. Um, and it aggregates mm-hmm. all the inventory together. I think it's the second largest aggregator in the world now. Um, it's grown through acquisition primarily, but it is well managed, and um, this business could be quite a good one. Um, the other part I actually don't think is that good, um, but what Webbeds is the main area we're interested here. Um, so the bulls would, would, would point at that and say, look, that is a, that is a, a proper platform that is primed for growth, um, capable of sensational returns, and is now at scale. I'm a bit more skeptical myself. I, I view this as little more than a, a reseller, and I think the margins it, earn, it earns ultimately will reflect its status as a reseller. I don't think it's a platform. You know, um, there's nothing to stop a, a holder of inventory from selling that over multiple platforms, and there's no real lock to keeping Webbeds um, exclusive as an exclusive holder of that inventory. So I don't think this is actually as strong a business as um, the bulls claim. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm probably in the minority thing, and most of the team probably like it. I'm going to go um, sell. I, look, I just don't think it's that special. I, I don't think it's that special. I don't think it's that cheap. Um, it is well managed. I think there is a sensible bull case for it. It's not a high conviction seller, but um, there are plenty of businesses okay. I'd rather own. What do you think, Ben, about Webjet? Um, it's, I think it's probably a hold. It's not one I've really looked at too carefully, I've got to say, but um, that's sort of interesting. I, I, you know, I think outside of Webbeds, I've covered that well, 
the travel business, I agree. Like, I, travel is booming. You know, everyone said that COVID was going to change everything. It's like, it's completely everything mm. is going back to normal. Mm. And um, you look at that Qantas update. Yeah, that's a Corporate travel, 85% yeah. of pre-COVID levels mm -hmm. now. Like, yeah. everyone said that was just dead. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so that should be good for them. The only thing I would say is in the next few years, I think people will want to get it deal with a real person, travel agent wise, mm. travel's going to be complex for some time mm -hmm. and sort of going on, particularly on the international side and, and booking flights, I think is going to be, it's a bit, bit trickier for a while, but there's certainly a boom coming. You've got to remember this business has twice as many shares on issue as it did pre-COVID mm -hmm. um, to get through. Um, not that that's a criticism they had to get through. I just think there's better, if I was focusing on this travel area better options um i quite like sightminder which okay. um mm, okay. is in the wrong area at the moment because it's one of those tyro style you know only just profitable and um big valuation but um i think it's a really good business and um it's got some good backers and good management um Circo is another one I think sort of looks interesting um and i actually think Qantas looks pretty good which mm. i wouldn't normally buy and i haven't bought but um you know i think They've done a great job through this period. I just started working on Alliance Aviation a couple of days ago. Right. Yeah. And I cursed out loudly today yeah. when yeah. I found out they, they were buying. Yeah. Um, I, Qantas was I mean, I don't know why today. I was surprised, yeah. but it was one of those, I mean, yeah. NAB and everything else. But I went, oh, no way, you know, Qantas uh, is buying well, Alliance. I'm not convinced that regulator is going to let them. I'm really surprised. Yeah, yeah Qantas yeah. has yeah. reached out to ACCC. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they did Qantas wet leasing. I don't, I don't know. I yeah. think Alliance is an It makes a good business. deal for, for Qantas. It's a great business. Management yeah. there, if you never looked at it, Ben, it's just sensational. A yeah. bunch yeah. of really um, good hustlers who yeah. um, own that business and run it fantastically well. It's a very good company. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, we digress. Let's get on to Frontier Energy from Malachi. Malachi, if you're listening, mm -hmm. thanks for writing in. Um, I wonder if anything changes around Frontier Energy. This is a tricky one. This t I, look, I did a very quick look at this. It looked like a backdoor listing to me onto the market. It's only been trading on the market for a month or two. Um, it owns a potential solar farm project near Perth. Um, and it said that it's going to start constructing this solar farm in 2023. It's going to take about eight months to build it. It's got some big industrial potential customers around it. I think the alumina refineries close by and some other, um, you know, sort of real energy hungry assets. Um, there's a lot of talk of green hydrogen throughout the presentation, which sort of put mm -hmm. me off somewhat. Because yeah. <laughs> um, again, you know, I also um, can't stand businesses that are chasing the latest yeah. fad in the market. Um, and, you know, look, I, I think it's been on the market for such a short period of time and earnings look like they're a number of years off. It's not something Why I can sell. Sell. I remember this business. Um, it might be a backdoor listing, but it used to be called. They changed its name. Yeah, and it's it was something else, and it was. A, it's been around for uh, at least fifteen years. Wow. It used to be looking for zinc, um, right? And now it's. Uh, I don't know if they've got new management, but it's been recapitalized. Hey, well, it used to be called Superior Lake Superior. Resources. Yes, yes, yes. There was a, it was a zinc explorer. Um, obviously, went nowhere and. Yeah. Um, I, look, I don't know what what the backstory whole backstory is. So I won't blast them for yeah. it, but. Um, um, the ambitions look, um, yeah, high, I would say, <laughs> for the amount of capital in this business and the amount of capex that it's going to require. So they're talking about actually setting up um, hydrogen fuel stations. Uh, look, I, I just don't know what the investment case is. You, you need so many things to work out mm -hmm. for, to make money out of this. I, like, a, there are so many better ideas. I, I avoid for me. What about ResMed? 
ResMed mm -hmm. RMD for Carmen. You know, we we know the company. Uh, what do you think of ResMed? Ah, ResMed. Um, again, this actually uh, always inspires argument in the team because we bought this really well years ago and then sold it really cheaply um, and. We've just been um, arguing ever since and never managed to buy it again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun place it to is, work. It is. Yeah. There's lots of argy-bargy. Um, the, the main point of contention here is really the change in ResMed from like a pure kind of um, uh, hardware business to all this technology they're adding. Um, it's, I'm just not sure. I look at the management's actually very good here. They've got a great track record. It is no doubt an outstanding business. Um, we actually just started working on Fisher and Paykel Healthcare, uh, mm. spoiler alert, and um, that, for me, that's probably the more interesting area. Um, although, look, ResMed is, is very close to our, I think we've got a $25 buy on it, <laughs> so we're actually very close to, to actually buying this. Um, uh, but it, it does inspire a bit of um, argy-bargy in the team, and um, for me personally, I, I would rather Fisher and Paykel. Um, but uh, it's only because I'm just a bit unclear about what their what their software strategy is, and it just it just strikes me as a bit um, unusual. Although I have to say, they are, it is working, and um, management are extremely good, so they probably deserve the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to go a hold on this one. Um, but you'd buy it if it was cheaper. Uh, yeah, well, I, th I think we've got a twenty-five dollar buy okay. target on it, so it's actually very close to being upgraded. And most of my t of the team actually really, really like this yeah, business yeah. and probably buy it today. So I'll go hold. So if you were on that team, what side of the argument would oh, you be I'm on? I'm a buy. It's one of our mm. largest holdings. Is it? I don't yeah, know that. like sort of top five. Um, we own Fisher and Paykel as well, and um, I've, yeah, I think this is an awesome business. Um, the they have issues at the moment, um, so they have a good thing going on, which is their major competitor, Philips, has had this global product recall of mm. their CPAP machines. Yep. Philips reported in the US a week or so ago and extended that um, recall by a year. Mm. So the window for ResMed to make hay while the sun shines has lengthened out. The problem ResMed have got is the supply chains. They're, they're really struggling mm -hmm. to keep up with demand. If you get diagnosed with sleep apnea in the States, tomorrow, it's a 12 to 18 month wait oh, wow. to get a machine. That's um, how big the backlog is. That that's crazy. Because that's ResMed's really the only play. I mean, Fisher and Paykel's there, yeah. but they, they, they don't do the full. The thing with ResMed is once you become a patient of ResMed, yeah. you don't leave. Yeah. And, yeah, that's and I think that's where the tech sinks in, Gaurav, is, right. is that the idea behind it is, um, I remember Mick Farrell, the CEO, he was saying, this is before Trump got elected, um, was saying that he they did a presentation about the bright tree or brain tree that they bought, mm -hmm. and what it does is it monitors your sleeping patterns and um, it sends that data into the cloud and it alerts the doctor who prescribed the thing whether there's an issue that mm -hmm. they need to call you in on. Okay. And he said that the um, Trump's um, health secretary or secretary of health. Um, singled this business out and said, these are the sort of companies that we need to take the pressure off the US healthcare mm -hmm. system because it means that mm -hmm. rather than going back in and out to get checked out, it's, it's actually happening every day, mm -hmm. but it's not putting that strain on. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, Mick talks about this ecosystem and building out the ecosystem. I think it's about trying to show your patients the benefits that you're getting from, because using these masks isn't a great deal of fun. Mm -hmm. Being constantly monitored as if you're almost in a sleep lab, mm -hmm. And um, 
and and then you've got you know that the new CPAP machine has just been launched. They, mm. they they're not like Apple phones that come out every year mm -hmm. and there's a slight improvement. It's like every five or six years and there's a massive improvement. Yeah. So um, to this company needs its its key challenge for the next year is maximizing that supply chain and meeting demand because they have demand in spades. It's trading on 28 times now and that's the cheapest I've seen this business in ages. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's a good buy. Got yeah. it. Thank you. Did you, you change your mind? Uh, well, we're so close to, to buying it. Uh, you guys um, got to come we're, we're close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me just wrap up what we've learned. West Farmers, it's a screaming buy for both of my guests. Um, as far as Webjet, it's a sell. For Gaurav, um, look, Ben named a, a few in the travel space that he's more favorable on. It's a hold for him, but siteminder.com.au, Circo, and even Qantas. Frontier Energy, stay away from it. ResMed, buy for Ben, as you just heard, and it's a hold for Gaurav, but a little bit cheaper, and it's a buy. All right, huge thanks to my guests. You guys got along well. Ben Clark from TMS Capital, Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for and uh, yeah, any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can just flick us an email, thecall at osbiz.com.au, or always send us a tweet if you prefer. And you can check out that portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>